Can you open your Bibles with me to the book of Ezekiel? Ezekiel chapter 47. So Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, right before Daniel. So Ezekiel chapter 47, and we're going to read the first 12 verses. Then he brought me back to the door of the house, and behold, water was flowing from under the threshold of the house toward the east, for the house faced east, and the water was flowing down from under, from the right side of the house, from south of the altar. He brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around to the outside of the outer gate by way of the gate that faces east, and behold, water was trickling from the south side. When the man went out toward the east with a line in his hand, he measured a thousand cubits, and he led me through the water, water reaching the ankles. Again he measured a thousand and led me through the water, water reaching the knees. Again he measured a thousand, and led me through the water, water reaching the loins. Again he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not fjord, for the water had risen, enough water to swim in a river that could not be fjorded. He said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Then he brought me back to the bank of the river. Now when I had returned, behold, on the bank of the river there were very many trees on the one side and on the other. Then he said to me, These waters go out toward the eastern region and go down into the Arabah. Then they go out toward the sea, being made to flow into the sea. And the waters of the sea become fresh, or literally healed. It will come about that every living creature that swarms in every place where the river goes will live, and there will be very many fish, for these waters go there and the others become fresh, so everything will live where the river goes. And it will come about that fishermen will stand beside it from Engedi to Eneglem. There will be a place for the spreading of nets. Their fish will be according to their kinds, like the fish of the great sea, very many. But its swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. By the river on its bank, on the one side and on the other, will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, and their fruit will not fail. They will bear every month, because their water flows from the sanctuary." and their fruit will be for food, and their leaves for healing. Well, we see a lot of things in this vision that was given by God to Ezekiel. The first thing we see is that there is water that is flowing, that is trickling down out of a house. It's not just a house, though it's the house. It's the house of God, the temple of God. So water is coming down from the presence of God. And first, as this man approaches the water, it seems a small thing. It's a shallow thing, and the water is just to his ankles. But then as he goes into it, it's deep, and then it's deeper, and finally he sees that it's something 
that is unsearchable as this trickling stream becomes a vast river that actually is feeding into the ocean. And then we see that this water actually becomes powerful, um, not only in the sense that it's vast, not only in in its scope, but also in what it's doing. And we see in verse 8 that it actually is healing things. And it says that the waters of the sea become fresh, that they become healed. So we get a sense that these waters actually, though, are not simply making things better. Uh, They're actually making things new, that they are life-giving waters. In verse 9, everything will live where the water goes. And then finally we get to understand that this water itself is actually alive, that the water is moving, you see, that the the water is animated, the water is coming down to where the fish are. Everything will live where the river goes. So the water is vast and, and powerful and expansive, but we also see that the water doesn't go everywhere. That is, that the water doesn't heal everything. In verse 11 and 12, we see it's going into the sea. It's making the sea clean, but it doesn't go into the swamps and into the marshes. They are left, or literally they're given over for salt. So they're left as wastelands. And this is in sharp contrast to the trees there that are growing at the, at the river's edge. All kinds of trees that are bearing fruit consistently. The trees are made alive by the water. Um, They are dependent on a continual supply of water flowing to it, which enables them to produce monthly fruit. So these trees are given life, and amazing it is that the trees which are given life themselves become life-giving in a sense that their fruit are sustaining and healing. Well, what does this mean for us today? Well, whether you're a Christian or not, this passage of Scripture means absolutely everything. Because it is talking about the Holy Spirit of God. And that is, Lord willing, what I'd like to talk about today. And there are many things that we could draw from this passage about the Holy Spirit. I'm going to be referring to various passages. You may want to just write down the reference. But the first thing we can say about the Holy Spirit from this passage is that the Holy Spirit comes from God. That it is the Spirit of God. And in Ezekiel 39, uh, verse 29, the Lord said, I will not hide my face from Israel any longer, for I have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel. In Joel 2.28, I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. And you go to the New Testament, Matthew 3.11, John the Baptist is baptizing with water for repentance, but he says Christ is going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. John one thirty three, he upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. 
And then finally we come to Acts 2 at Pentecost, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise, like a violent rushing wind that filled the house, and tongues of fire appeared to be resting on each other. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. So the Holy Spirit comes from God. The Holy Spirit is poured out from heaven. And this is something that is is glorious and awesome. And the further that you dive into this subject of the Spirit of God, the deeper it becomes until finally you realize that it is something so vast that it is exceeding our natural capacity to possibly even measure. So if the first thing we see is that the Holy Spirit comes from God, the second thing we must recognize is that the Holy Spirit is incomprehensible. Uh, the Holy Spirit, as, as Brother Andy um, shared with us a couple weeks ago, the Holy Spirit reveals the things of God. In 1 Corinthians 2, the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. The thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. So the only access that we have to the mind of God is in the Holy Spirit. If you do not have the Holy Spirit, you are without hope of knowing God. The Spirit searches all things. Well, this revelation, this person from God, is is so complex that it is not a thing. It's a person. It's a person who we see in Romans 8, uh, 26, a person who has a mind. And we see in other passages that this person can be grieved, this person can be quenched, this person can be lied to. Uh, we are commanded to walk in the person of the Spirit in Galatians 5. We're commanded to pray in the Spirit, Ephesians 6, to be filled with the person of the Spirit, Ephesians 4. And as Mason pointed out multiple times from Ephesians 4, 3, we're commanded to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace collectively as a body. So the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential to Christianity. In fact, and I have to talk about these things very carefully, but without the Spirit of God, there is no ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, in Luke 4, we see that Jesus Christ was full of the Holy Spirit. Luke 4, 1, that he went about in the power of the Holy Spirit. Luke 4, 14, uh, the Holy Spirit descended upon him. Uh, the Spirit is upon me, Christ said, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. So you see right there in Luke 3 uh, an undeniable connection between the Spirit of God and the preaching of the gospel. The Spirit is upon, is upon me. He has anointed me to preach, to proclaim, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. 
Now, as I, as I said, whenever we talk about the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, we have to be very careful that we don't fall into some wrong teaching, particularly that of the, the Gnostics, who uh, some of them held that Jesus Christ came into the world not as a divine figure, but that the Holy Spirit then descended upon him at his baptism, and the Holy Spirit left him prior to his death on the cross. And, of course, these things aren't found in Scripture at all and have been rejected by the church as heresy for centuries. But what we see here in these passages in Luke is that it's a mysterious thing, but in the eternal decree of God, the ministry of God himself in Jesus Christ was purposed to depend upon the power of the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, the gospel cannot be preached. This was true uh, for Jesus Christ, and it was true for the Apostle Paul, who wrote to the Corinthians, My message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. He said, The kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power, the power of the Holy Spirit. Our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in full conviction. So without the Spirit, the gospel does not go out. Without the Spirit, there is no Christian. The Christian is fundamentally a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, 1 Corinthians 6.11. He is, as Romans 8.9 tells us, one who is at the core, foundationally, in the Spirit. The Christian is in the realm of the Spirit. So, the Spirit is absolutely fundamental to Christian existence. He comes from God as the Spirit of God, revealing the depths of God. He is unsearchable because God is unsearchable, and the Spirit is God. But he is not only unsearchable in who he is, he is unsearchable in what he does. That is, the Holy Spirit is very powerful. Uh, to speak of the Holy Spirit is to speak of the powerful presence of God. And to see this, uh, turn with me to John chapter 16. <clears throat> John chapter 16, we'll just read verses 7 through 15. These are amazing things. The Lord Jesus is talking, John 16, starting at verse 7. But I tell you the truth, that it is to your advantage that I go away. Now, we've read these words many times. But do we grasp how significant of a statement that is? You have the eternal Lord of glory, Jesus Christ, the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world, and he is turning to his disciples and he is saying, it is a good thing that I am leaving. How can that possibly be? How can it possibly be good for anyone that Jesus Christ... Uh, depart 
But he says it's not just something that's going to happen. It's not just something neutral. But he says that it's something that is beneficial. He says it's to their advantage that he go away. This is a mysterious thing. Well, let's keep on. I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. And concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me. For he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I say that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. So it's to your advantage that I go away. So the question is, what is the advantage of the Holy Spirit? What does he do? Well, Jesus Christ says he's the helper. Well, in our language that doesn't sound very robust. I mean, that sounds like a term you'd, you'd give to a small child in the nursery. Would you like to be my helper? You know, today, I mean, it just, you know, it, it, it doesn't it feel very weighty. But the Holy Spirit is the comforter. He's the advocate. He, he's an intercessor. All these things are wrapped up. And we see uh, very soon in this passage that this idea of a helper is not something small and trite. It is something extremely vast because the Holy Spirit is the power of God to convict the world. He is the power of God to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment, of sin, which is unbelief in Jesus Christ. That's what sin is. If you do not believe in Jesus Christ, that is sin. Yeah. Terrible, terrible sin. So the Holy Spirit is able to convict the world of that, to open eyes to see what a wicked thing it is to have a heart of unbelief toward Jesus Christ. He has power to open the mind to understand righteousness, that is the glory and holiness of God. Power to convict the world regarding judgment, regarding the fact that sin has a price, that God is just, and the fact that, as Jesus said there, Satan has been judged already. So the Holy Spirit is able to bring all these things to mind, the, the hideousness of sin, of unbelief in Jesus Christ, the glory of God, the justice of God, the holiness of God, and the absolute folly and futility of continuing in sin against him, given the fact that Satan has been judged. He is the spirit of truth. So he's the revealer of truth. He takes the things that belong to God, to Jesus Christ, and he discloses it to the Christian. 
So many things in this passage and many other passages, it's hard to know where to stop uh, this morning and all this, but Romans 8, you know, 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. He searches our hearts. He intercedes for the saints, it says. Literally, there, the idea, I think, includes the fact that the Spirit of God prays to God on behalf of the saints. So God is working on the Christian's behalf in his spirit. In Ephesians 3.16, Paul prayed that the church would be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit in the inner man so that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith. And Paul said uh, in 2 Corinthians 4.7, we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. And that power there, I would argue, is the power of the Holy Spirit. So he's wasting away as a man. He's just a jar of clay. But in him is the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of God. So in the opening passage in Ezekiel that we considered, we saw that the water there flowing from the presence of God was powerful in its scope. It was a mighty river feeding into the ocean. And then we saw that this water was a divine, that it actually heals, that it, it, it cleanses the ocean. We saw that it was life-giving, that everything lives where the water goes. And all these things are true of the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is cleansing. The Holy Spirit is healing. The Spirit is life and life-giving. And this is a tremendous thing for the Christian, tremendously encouraging. But to understand what this really means, we have to back up a bit and ask ourselves, what does Scripture say regarding the state of a, of a person who is without the Holy Spirit? And I have to tell you that Scripture uses very graphic terms. Um, I'm just going to refer to a few passages here from Ezekiel 16 and some others. What is the state of the person without the Holy Spirit? Well, I'll tell you, it's a state of complete worthlessness. And in this passage in Ezekiel 16, starting about verse 4, the Lord says of you that on the day you were born, your navel cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water for cleansing. You were not rubbed with salt or even wrapped in clothes. Rather, you are thrown out into an open field where you were abhorred on the day that you were born. Without the Spirit of God, you are worth nothing. You are a lifeless, bloody mass that is thrown into a field. There is no use trying to fool yourself into thinking anything else 
Praise God, this passage does not end there. But it says, God says, that when I passed by you and saw you squirming in your blood, I said to you, while you were in your blood, live. Yes, I said to you, while you were in your blood, live. I also swore to you and entered into a covenant with you so that you became mine. This is incredible. God comes to you, this lifeless, bloody thing that has been rejected, utterly rejected and thrown out, cast out, outside as an unclean thing. And he comes to you and he breathes life into you. And then he, he doesn't just do that. He swears an oath, a covenantal oath to you that you are going to be his. But he doesn't leave you where you are. It's not just something formal, something positional. He bathes you with water. He washes off the blood of your filth and your sin. And he anoints you with oil. Ezekiel chapter 36 uh, is a similar passage. The Lord says, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all of your idols. So we see right there this idea of cleansing that the Holy Spirit does is not something abstract. It is extremely tangible and real, meaning you know if you've been cleansed by God. Because idols go away. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Well, what are idols? Well, in the Psalms it says all the gods of the people are idols. All the things that we worship other than God. Anything other than God is idolatry. But the Holy Spirit is able to work in the heart to cleanse us from those things. So he says, I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols, and I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. 1 Corinthians 6.11 states that the Christian although once unrighteous, has been washed, sanctified, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Titus 3, 5, and 6. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but, but, but according to his mercy, by the washing of of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is at the center of the new covenant that God forms with his church in Jesus Christ. The new covenant is a covenant of the Spirit of God. And that is why Paul writes in Romans 8 that it is the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus that sets us free from the law of sin and death. You look at yourself and 
we see death. There's no life when you look just at you, Romans 8.10. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness, 2 Corinthians 3.7. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The Spirit's ministry is one of righteousness that is abounding in glory. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, 7, Therefore we have much hope and use boldness in our speech. The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So the Spirit gives life, hope, boldness, liberty. That's completely unlike what the world thinks or has to offer. What does the world say? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. But there's only one problem there in Isaiah where that is first quoted. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. But the Lord has revealed himself to me. That is the problem. That is why the Christian cannot go on with the world. Because the Lord has revealed himself to the Christian in the person of the Holy Spirit. So... The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. It is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So to review, we've seen that the Spirit comes from God. He discloses the unsearchable things of God. The Holy Spirit is the very presence of God, able to convict the world of unbelief in Jesus Christ and to reveal truth. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. It is by the Holy Spirit that men are freed from the law of sin and death. To have the Holy Spirit in us, that is, to be a Christian, to exist in the realm of the Spirit, is to be alive. The Spirit is life, and the Spirit gives life. But just as we saw in the first passage there in Ezekiel, that the waters don't go everywhere. They don't go into the swamps and into the marshes. Just so with the Spirit, in all of his cleansing, life-giving power, he does not go everywhere. He does not go into every person. Now, this doesn't sound very good. This is very much against the liberal theology of our day which says, well, everything's fine, God is love, everyone's a Christian, everything's fine. Unfortunately, there's no scriptural data to support that at all. What we see in the Bible instead is that the Spirit sanctifies. That is, the Spirit sets men apart. That the Spirit divides the church from the world. First Corinthians 2 again. Now we have received not the spirit of the world. So you see right there at the, at the beginning that the spirit of God divides sharply. The Christian cannot be one who has the spirit of the world. He cannot be one who thinks as the world thinks. He can't be one who goes along uh, with the rest of the world and system. He has not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. So not all men are saved. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. 
Jesus said, as recorded in John 6, the words that I have given to you are spirit and are life, but there are some of you who do not believe. That is the problem. Unbelief. The one without the Spirit of God is left for salt. He is given over to himself. He is left in a lifeless wasteland. And as we saw earlier, this is in complete contrast to those trees that are growing at the water's edge. Let's look there again in Ezekiel 37 as we wrap things up. Ezekiel 37, verse 12. By the river, on its bank, on one side and on the other, will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, and their fruit will not fail. They will bear every month, because their water flows from the sanctuary, and their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. So, what do we see in this? Ezekiel 47, verse 12. What we see is that people indwelt by the Spirit of God grow. People who are indwelt by the Spirit of God bear fruit. They persevere. Their leaves will not wither. Their fruit do not fail. They bear fruit consistently each month. Why? Because of the constant supply of God, of power, of sanctification, of of life-sustaining energy that the Christian has by the Holy Spirit. Amazing as it is, though, this life is so overflowing that the Christian is actually empowered by the Holy Spirit to actually give a word, to perform a deed that has great consequence for other people. Because it says here that the fruit is for food and leaves for healing. The Christian doesn't exist as an isolated person who is drawing from this energy and power to supply their own needs. Oh, it does. It supplies their own needs. But it is overflowing to other people to build up the body and to convict a lost world. Well, what do we say to all these things? What did Jesus Christ say to all these things? Because Jesus Christ always preached in the context of the Old Testament. Well, what did he say to the woman at the well? If you knew, if you only knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. God says, I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit. He asks, why do you spend money for what does not satisfy? Only the Holy Spirit can do it. Only God can fill us. Why do you spend money for what doesn't satisfy? He says, everyone who is thirsty, come to the waters. 
John 7, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. All the way through scripture, even to the end in Revelation, I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. Do we see how significant this offer is from God himself? He has paid for the cost of the water in his own blood. And now he says, come to the spring of the water of life. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. May God make us thirsty for the Holy Spirit. Ask and it will be given to you. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Holy Spirit, living breath of God, breathe new life into my willing soul. Amen.